Good morning. It's good to see every one of you here today. A good crowd for Memorial Day weekend. And we're just having a good time together this morning, uh, worshiping today. It's, uh, it's good to be back with you this morning. I want you to get your Bible and, and go ahead and be uh, finding Romans chapter 8. We're coming to that time of year where uh, it's graduation season. And it's my understanding that uh, Eric is gone today with a lot of seniors on that cruise that he takes them on. So we're at that time of year, and not only uh, are the seniors gone, a lot of us are planning planning different trips and probably already have your summer vacation plans in the making or set. And uh, I've been thinking about one myself. I've been thinking about it too long. I need to do it. I need to turn the, the plan into reality. But uh, my plan that I, I'm looking for an opportunity to do is to go on a backpacking trip. I don't know how many of you enjoy that kind of thing, but I do. Um, just get out there with those bugs and, and mosquitoes and hot and backpack. And the only problem that I run into when I go a long period of time, it's been a few years since I've done that. And the thing that usually happens to me when I start packing that backpack is I start saying, well, I, I can't forget this. And then, well, I don't want to forget that. And I might need that. And, man, I, I start loading it in there. And I've got everything, and I feel good about that backpack and throw it in the car and head out and get on the trail and excited and just looking forward to it. And for about a mile, everything's good. And after about a mile, I realize, man, I really shouldn't have packed that. And I probably could have done without this. And I realize that thing is heavy, heavy. And I am just dragging all that extra weight around. I usually get all the way to the end of the trip. And I realize I never should have packed. I never used it, never took it out. And I carried this unnecessary weight around with me the whole time. Well, what I want to speak to you about this morning, what I want the Bible and God's Word to speak to you about, is something very similar to that that we all do. And we all can do that in our spiritual life when it comes to sin and the feelings that we continue to carry around about forgiven sin. Forgiven sin, feelings of condemnation that in the same way that heavy weight of that backpack can just weight us down and we'll walk through day after day after day wrestling with that and sometime or another we'll come. And I hope it's today. If that's happening in your life, I hope that it's today you'll come to the realization and say, hey, you know, I really don't need to carry that around. I can do away with that. So many times we come to that place when, uh, as the Bible says over in the book of Hebrews, it says we must lay aside every weight. Uh, every weight and, and the sin that so easily entangles us, um, we can lay that aside. We should lay that aside so that we can run the race that God has laid out for us. And sometimes as Christians, we'll come to the place where we'll be inspired by that, and we'll say, yes, I, I want to uh, do that. We'll confess. If there's something we find in our life that's unconfessed, we'll confess that, we'll repent of that, and we'll do just all the things that, that God instructs us to do. But then sometime later, two, three, four miles on up the road, we'll find out, why do I still feel that way? Why am I still wrestling with these feelings? Well, i tell you something good this morning. God does not want His children to live that way. God doesn't want His children to live that way at all. So I want you to take your copy of God's Word and stand. Let's honor the reading of His Word. As we look to Romans chapter 8, 
Romans chapter 8, and I want us to focus in here on verses 1 and 2. Therefore, no condemnation now exists for those in Christ Jesus, because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Heavenly Father, this morning we are gathered here together in this place of worship. We've come together to be before you, humbly before you, Lord, to worship you, to lift you up, to give you honor and glory as we've been singing and we've been giving and praying this morning. Now we come to your word and we want you to speak to us. We ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching and the communication of your holy word, that you'd give us freedom from the things that bind us in our life, freedom from the sin and the guilt that you've paid such a high price to free us from. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We're looking here this morning in the book of Romans. And I want us to just kind of hit some high spots, some high steps so far into where we are in the book of Romans. The book of Romans is a book that it reveals the righteousness with God that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. And it begins by talking about uh, the fact that all people, all peoples, people, believers and non-believers alike are aware of and know that there is a God. It, it says in those early verses in this book that um, uh, we know that, we see that in the creation that is, that is revealed and so that all men are without excuse. And the book goes on to talk about the fact that there are no innocent people in the world for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It talks about the fact that we're all, as people, born into, we're born into a condemned position. But it also says that God has made a way of salvation for the lost. And it says that people cannot come to this way of salvation apart from saving faith in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 3, it begins with an explanation of just what that saving faith, what that salvation looks like. And then we come to a place in chapter 7 that's in the verses right before the one we just read. And I want us to read it too, where Paul begins this discussion about this problem of sin in us, meaning sin in the life of the believer and the problems that that can cause. Now, this is one of those passages, it's one of my favorites, but it's also one of those you have to read and follow along really closely. I want you to look at it with me where he talks about this. In verse 13 of chapter 7, he says, Therefore, did what is good cause my death? Absolutely not. On the contrary, sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, meaning the law, so that through the commandment sin might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh. And God knows that. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailty. In fact, in the book of Psalms it says He knows that we're just dust. That we're that and we're sold into sin's power. In verse 15 it says, For I do not understand what I am doing. Have you ever been in that place where you thought, Why do I do the things that I do? Because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. Verse 18, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. For if now if I do what I do not want, I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin that lives in me. 
So I discovered this principle at work in me. When I want to do good, evil is with me. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. But I see this different law in the part of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. And then he says in verse 24, What a wretched man I am. Can't you just hear that as he talks about that? And I remember the first time I really read across this passage and I thought, wow, that is such a description of what's happening in my life and I feel that way. And so many times in our Christian life we feel just caught up in this waging war and that's exactly what we're in every day is in a, in a spiritual battle. But he comes to this place and you can almost hear the frustration. He says, what a wretched man I am. He basically says, how am I going to get out of this? He says, who will rescue me? from this body of death. And then in verse 25, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh to the law of sin. So he comes to this place, and he's thankful for the salvation and the rescue. I love that word rescue that he uses to talk about what Jesus does in getting us out. So we read that this morning, and we feel the same way. We think, boy, aren't we thankful for, for the rescue and the salvation and the freedom choir just sang about that a minute ago about bonds being broken and we're set free uh, we're thankful for that but why is it then why is it that this cloud at times even knowing all of this can still just hang over us and we continue to feel that way knowing the truth that we know well I believe that as God's children many times we wrestle with condemnation we carry it around unnecessarily because we fail to take biblical steps to exercise the faith as we should. Instead of um, being defeated by feelings of condemnation, I want us to think about and look at this morning steps we can take to have victory over condemnation. So I want you to look at four with me for a few minutes this morning. First of all, I want us to see this step. Identify the origin. The first thing we have to do if we're going to do away with this cloud of condemnation is to identify the origin and find out where this is coming from. Where is that coming from? We need to ask ourselves, what's caused this? Now, as many of us as there are here today and the many different things in life that can cause those feelings, there's no way that we have time this morning to exhaust all those possibilities. But I want to mention just a couple of things that are some areas that can be pretty common in our lives where these can originate. One of those possibilities is in early childhood. It can be that there are experiences that we have when we're a child that can just plant roots there. I've been trying to plant some grass this summer, and I, I got a tiller a uh, couple of months ago, and I started tilling up grass. And I tilled it, and I tilled it a long time, and I had it just ground down as fine as powder, and I thought, boy, that is some good-looking dirt. And I planted my new grass seed in there, and I fertilized it, and I put wheat straw on it, and I watered it, and, and stuff started coming up. And I was so excited to see that grass seed that I'd planted coming up, but I got to studying it, and it wasn't what I planted. And it was all this other stuff. And I thought, that's the same stuff that was there before. And then by and by, I saw some other stuff coming up. I said, I think that's what I planted. And now, and now I've just got all this mix of grass there. And my trust is, is that the grass that I planted is going to keep growing, and then it's going to choke out what's there. But the thing is, I got to talking to my dad. You know, my dad, he knows everything, I think. And I said, you know, I plowed that stuff up so good. What's the problem? He said, well, you know those roots in that Bermuda go down way down to the ground. I said, no, I didn't know that. 
I said, yeah, they go down there. So I had all this grass. And this stuff's had deep roots. And you know that sometimes with feelings of condemnation, all kinds of other things that we deal with in life, the roots can go way back in our life. They can really be set there unintentionally. You know, parents, we have been designed and appointed by God to represent Him to our children. It's just naturally built that way. You've seen all the other lessons and things in the Bible that, that make it clear God's got a design and the, the discipline of fathers and, and the things that we do as parents. He's got all of it designed and laid out in His Word. But sometimes Christian parents, even in our best efforts to keep the standards as they should be and follow God's direction in raising our children, there can be times that parents have the bar set pretty high. And it can be set so high that, that it's, it's tough for a child to deal with. The Bible says in Ephesians, it talks about children, obey your parents. And children, we should do that. That's in that model. Obey parents, honor them. And then it goes on to say to fathers, it says, and fathers, don't provoke or the word can be stir up anger or irritate or exasperate. Don't do that to your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. But even in our best efforts sometimes to do that, and even many times the parents that aren't following God's word can be very hard to please. And the bar just keeps going up. And sooner or later, Junior, Junior can't jump the bar. And Junior can't please Dad. And no matter how hard find, and, and feelings of just defeated and not being good enough can even be there from our childhood. It can be another authority figure many times in life that can have roots way back and can cause feelings like that. Another possibility of feelings like that can come from our own sin. Now, I said the first step in dealing with uh, feelings of condemnation this morning is to identify the origin. But really, the first step can be if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior... You've never met him, never trusted in him, never followed him, then those feelings are, are probably true, and the Holy Spirit is giving you those feelings. And your first step really is to come to know him as your Lord and Savior and let him take all of that sin and condemnation away. Because our own sin can do things in our life that are designed. The Holy Spirit is in us to do exactly that, to produce what I call good guilt. The Holy Spirit's presence in you lets you know he alarms you he gets mining your attention to the fact that we sin lets us know don't do that don't do that and that's that's good guilt there's the good guilt that we feel that's that's remorse that's genuine deep sorrow that we feel in our heart and life because we we realize we've offended god and the holy spirit uses that to bring us back to a place of confession and repentance and fellowship with the lord but then the thing I think that really causes the problem that we're talking about is a thing called false guilt. Because, see, not only is there the Lord that's speaking to us, we have an enemy. And the devil likes to use accusations against us. In fact, the Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. And he's really good at beating up on us with a stick. He has his stick, and he constantly will bombard us with um, how bad we are and why we shouldn't have done that and where we are and... He beats us up with a stick, and then sometimes, sooner or later, we begin to help him. And we get our own stick, and we beat ourselves up quite a bit. And he hits us with his lies, and sooner or later, we feel like we hear a voice telling us, do you really believe that God's going to forgive you for that again? After all these times, what a failure. How could you do? And all those types of things, and those lies keeps coming. And the answer to that question is yes. Yes, God will forgive, and He continues to forgive. The Bible says, 
If we confess our sins, He, meaning God, is faithful. And He's just, He's fair, righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to identify the origin is the first step. And to do that, many times we have to pray. We have to get back to that Bible. Get in there and begin to search and ask the Holy Spirit. Say, Lord, show me what's going on in me. Why am I feeling this way? Why do I feel so defeated? And let Him accurately identify that origin. But there's a second step I want us to see this morning, and it is to understand the damaging effects. Understand the damaging effects of allowing condemnation to have victory over us. Notice that the Bible says there in verse 2, it said in verse 1, there's no condemnation that now exists for those that are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Set free. Set you free. Now, I want to share some truth with you. The truth is, as we said a moment ago, if you're unsaved and you're not a believer in Christ, haven't placed your faith in Him yet, then the truth is you are in a condemned position. That condemned position that the book of Romans reveals that every one of us are born into, if a person that's unsaved is still in that spot, Jesus talked about that with Nicodemus. We're familiar with that verse that just is the gospel in a nutshell in John three sixteen, um, where Jesus said, For God loves you in this way, so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that so that everyone who believes in Him, whosoever, believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. But then the Bible says in verse 17 and 18 something that's very, very important. For God did not send His Son into the world that He might condemn the world. Jesus told Nicodemus, said, God didn't send His Son. He didn't send me into the world to condemn the world. That's not what He's here for. But that the world might be saved through Him. You remember, He's the one that's come to seek and to save those that were lost. And then in verse 18, He said, Anyone, whosoever, Anyone who believes in Him is not condemned. Anyone. For those times that maybe you felt like, well, that works for them, but I just don't believe it'll work for me. I just don't see how God could love me. And it works for them, but it just doesn't work. But the truth is that Jesus said anyone and everyone who believes in Him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. So see, he's not come to condemn us because we're already condemned by our sin. It talks about that also in the book of Romans. But he's come to be our rescuer. And then he said in John 5, verse 24, he says, I tell you the truth, I assure you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, hear the word, believe in who Jesus is and what he's done, has eternal life and will not be condemned. Will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death into life. That's what Jesus said. That's the truth. And then you remember that, that time, that encounter that Jesus had with that woman that they drug out before him, and they were trying to trap Jesus, and uh, they were trying to trick him into answering something in a way where they could get him, and they drug out the woman that had been caught in the act of adultery. And uh, they were accusing and saying all these things and asking him, what do you say? And, and it says there in that story that uh, Jesus stooped down and he was writing on the ground with his finger. 
And when they just kept on persisting him with the questions, it said he stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped back down and he began to write in the ground after saying that. And you can just imagine that there was a silence there. But all the questions stopped. And then it says, when they heard this, they left one by one. You can just hear the rocks hitting the ground. And it says that it started with the older men first. And they began to walk away. And there was no one left there except Jesus and this woman. And it says, when Jesus stood back up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. And he said, Neither do I condemn you. That's what Jesus said. Neither do I condemn you. He said, Go, and from now on, sin no more. He didn't, he didn't wink at her sin. He didn't not acknowledge it. He just said, Go, and sin no more. He did not condemn her. Now, that's, that's the truth. He's not the condemner. He's the Savior. He's the forgiver. So we need to understand this truth because some of the damaging effects that can happen in our life, first of all, is that we have not laid aside the weight yet. We haven't laid aside the false belief. In, in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews was addressing some false beliefs, some extra weights they were carrying around and the things that they did in their life. So it was extra weight. It was slowing them down. But it also talks about the sin. Many times we just haven't laid aside and we have not dealt with the sin that's causing the problem, that's ensnaring us, keeping us from running the race as we should. That's a damaging effect that we experience as a Christian. And then sometimes a damaging effect can be that we just don't experience His love as we should. We just get it in our mind. We think that God's uh, He's just going to kill us. He's just going to lightning bolt us. Now, some of you in here remember Gomer Pyle. Uh, Gomer Pyle was this uh, comedy back several years ago, and, and Gomer Pyle was just not exactly what you'd expect to be Marine Corps material. But nevertheless, he went into Marines, and, uh, and it set up lots of funny scenarios. And he, he uh, always wanted to please Sergeant Carter, and Sergeant Carter was the sergeant that was always yelling at him, yelling at him, yelling at him. And, and one time Gomer had done something, and he was all upset. He was afraid of what was going to Sergeant Carter was going to say, and he just kept saying, He's going to kill me, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me dead. And that's sometimes the way we feel about God. We just think He's just going to kill us dead. And we're not understanding how much He loves us. He loves us. What happens when we're thinking that way is that performance-based thinking lies to us in light of God's grace-based truth. Performance-based thinking will always lie to us in light of the grace of God. Look what it says there in this same chapter of Romans, chapter 8. Just look on over a few verses. Romans chapter 8, where it talks about the believer's triumph. And that's what we're talking about this morning. Victory. Triumph. It says, What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who's against us? The obvious answer is no one. He did not even spare His own Son, but offered Him up for us all. How will He not also with Him grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God, and He intercedes for us. Do you realize and remember this morning that God not only loves you, Jesus demonstrated that love by dying, and He's praying for you. He's interceding. 
for us. It says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, because of you we're being put to death all day long. We're counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we're more than victorious through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, nothing you can think of will have the power to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth. That's the truth about the love of God. And then, if we don't understand that, another damaging effect is that we just won't come before Him as we should. We won't come before Him as we should. And it talks about that in Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Whatever you and I have done in our weaker moments of our life, Jesus knows and understands all about it. He doesn't wink at it. It's not that it's okay, but he understands and sympathizes with our weaknesses. But one, he's one who's been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. Everyone, No, not one, not righteous, not one of us. But Jesus was without, was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace. How? With boldness. Approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us at the proper time. At the proper time, we need that mercy and grace. And that is the way for us to approach Him. So we understand there are some damaging effects if we don't deal with those feelings of condemnation. A third step I want us to see is this. Realize what is true and what is not true. Realize what is true and what's not true. Look in Romans chapter 8 again. Verse 2 said, Because the Spirit's law of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3 says, What the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. What did He do? He condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned sin. That's what He's done. In Romans chapter 5, just back a couple of pages. The Bible says, For we, while we were still helpless at the appointed time, Christ died for the ungodly. Have you ever really just sat for a moment and just tried to wrap your mind around that? We think this weekend about Memorial Day, and we honor, as Myra sang a few minutes ago, and we, we stood together, and, and we think about those that have given their lives uh, for the freedoms that we have in this country. And, and I can say, and you can say this morning, that we know for sure that we've had someone die for us in that sense. Um, most all of those, probably, are people that I don't know their name. But they died for me to have what I have in you too. But there's not one single person, it's been my experience in life, there's no one that's ever taken a bullet for me. There's no one that's ever died for me individually except Jesus Christ. It says here that, For rarely will someone die for a just person, for a good person, though for a good person someone might perhaps even uh, dare to die. But God proves, He demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't that something that's huge? Christ died for even all those that would never accept Him. Now that's love. 
That's a love that we can't even wrap our mind around this morning. So here's some things that are true in light of that. For believers in Christ, the cloud or the feeling of condemnation, it's not a fact. It's not true. It's not true. It's a lie. It's a lie and it's a feeling. It's an emotion that comes. Another thing that is true is that God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to rescue us from our guilt. Not only did He rescue from your sin, but He rescued you and me from the guilt that accompanies our sin. You're not, we're not even supposed to feel that false guilt. And another thing that's true is He bore our condemnation. Whatever condemnation that you and I might experience, we shouldn't be experiencing it because He's already borne it. He's already carried that to the cross. He's made a great declaration there. You'll see in Romans 5 verse 9 that He's declared you righteous. By his, he's spoken it. It's a declaration made by God by His blood that you're righteous. Over in the book of Colossians it says this. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations. He erased it. That was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. By nailing it to the cross. Years ago, when I had the privilege of uh, working with youth group, uh, one of the things that when we would come to this type of material and work with, I really wanted them to get a visual image of what that was. And we had a little wooden cross that stood out in front of the, the church. That was my home church. And uh, I'd get those kids together, and uh, we'd get a few pieces of paper and some pens and pencils, and, and uh, we'd go out there to where that cross was. We'd, we'd, we'd do a lesson on this. And I would tell them at some point after, after we had explained that, I'd say, I want you to take that. So nobody's looking. You've got to spread apart where nobody can see what you're writing down. And whatever sin there is in your life that you may be dealing with and you just feel bad about it, I say, I want you to write it down on that piece of paper, all of them, for as long as it takes. And then after you get them all written down, I want you to fold it up. Nobody can see it. They're all folding them up, folding them up. And then I'd pick up the hammer and the several nails that I'd brought out there, and I'd say, I want you to take this nail everyone get a nail and we'd take they'd take all of those little pieces of paper that had all those sins and we'd go to that cross and they'd take their turns nailing all those sins to that cross and we'd leave we'd leave we'd just say come on let's go and we'd go back in the church and we'd leave that cross just covered up with pieces of paper and we'd go home that way whether they were worried about, oh gosh, are you going to go back out there and get those pieces of paper? I don't want somebody to come along and get that piece of paper. Leave it there. Leave it there. Another thing that I like to do when I'm teaching, I love a dry erase board. I just love to have that and write on it and draw on whatever comes to my mind and think about it and put it up there where we can see it. And you know, I think that the devil does that with what we do as the accuser of the brethren. I think he takes our sins and things that we've done wrong and he's just writing up there. He's just writing it all up there and he's just accusing away. And he's writing it all up there. And when a person comes to salvation in Christ, you know what that's like? It's like Jesus comes along with a big cross-shaped eraser and he just cleans that board off. He just cleans it off, wipes it away. It's gone. It's gone. That's what's true. That's what's true. We need to realize that that's what's true. But there's one fourth step, and it's very important, that as believers we get to and exercise this fourth step, and that is to believe the truth rather than the feelings. We have to believe it, meaning that I internalize and embrace that truth as true for me. And I don't stop at that place where I say, well, that's good for somebody else, and it's working great for them, but I just don't believe that's a very serious thing for Christians to say, I just don't believe. Everything stopped right there for us. 
if that's what we're saying. We have to come to a place where I believe that. I believe that's what God means for me. We believe the truth rather than the feelings. Why, here's what truth will do for you. You know what Jesus said that's true? You will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth sets us free. The truth demolishes lies. That's why the truth is so important. Our emotions will flow from our thoughts. The way we feel, it comes from the way we're thinking. And the Bible talks about our thinking. The book of Proverbs says, For as he thinks within himself, so is he. As we think within ourselves, that's the way we are, is saying. Look over just a couple of chapters over in Romans chapter 12. It talks about our mind, and it says, Do not be conformed to this age. Don't look like this age. Don't think like this age. Don't, don't do that, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our what? Our mind. The Holy Spirit has that power to renew the way we think by renewing our mind. I remember when I was a kid, it came this really good snow. And uh, went out in that snow, and I'd seen the picture of snowmen, and you're going to try to make that effort to build a snowman, and started making that big ball that was going to be on the bottom. So I got a little snowball, and I started packing that snowball together. And, and I, I thought, well, I'm going to roll it around and see what happens. And I started rolling that snowball, and it was just the snow consistency was just right. And I rolled it around a little while. I thought, well, it's getting bigger. And I just kind of packed that on there. And I just kept rolling it around. And, I, and I'll tell you, I rolled that ball around all afternoon. I rolled it in the neighbor's yard. My, everywhere I saw good snow, I rolled it around. And after a while, I had this ball of snow. It was about this big. This big ball. I thought, man, look at that. I thought it was cool. But, you know, I looked at it, and I thought, you know, that big old ball, it's kind of had sticks in it, and it had leaves in it, and it had dirt in it. And it was this big old ball, and it just kind of didn't look like it. wasn't that pretty one, like on Charlie Brown or something, you know. It was just a dirty, big old ball. Well, you know what? The weather got cold, and it stayed cold. And you know what? That old ball, it stayed out there for, I bet it stayed out there for a week or two. You leave it in the shade, it'll stay a long time. And that old ball, it just stayed out there, and it just stayed out there, and it stayed out there. All this other snow melted away, but that ball was out there. Do you know that our thoughts can be just like a snowball? We can get to thinking about something, and it can just be a little thought, and we can keep rolling that around in our mind, and it'll just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I tell you, if it's a bad thought, if it's something that's not true, we'll roll around, and it'll just become this big, big, big thing. And if it's not true, it'll just be like my big old ugly snowball. It'll just be full of sticks and dirt and trash. And it's a big old ugly thing. You know what? It'll just stay there and it just seems like it won't ever go away. You know what will melt that kind of a snowball in, in mind and your thinking? Truth of God's Word. Truth of God's Word will begin to melt that away. It'll just heat that up and it'll just melt, melt that away. Before long, we find out, hey, I need to think differently. I need to roll up a snowball that's a snowball of truth. I need to get some truth in my thinking. We need to fill our minds with the truth of God. Then the emotions that we feel, they're going to be based in truth. And they're going to be the kind of emotions that that make us feel like who we are as God's children. We begin to not feel defeated by condemnation, but we feel like, God, you're giving me victory. You're giving me victory. We need to believe the truth instead of feelings. Now, the Bible says in the Old Testament that after Nathan the prophet came to King David after his sin with Bathsheba and he 
he so cleverly uh, and with the guidance of the Holy Spirit pointed out what had happened and, and, and King David saw and he finally admitted to that, uh, that sin in his life that he was broken. He was broken. And we have that wonderful chapter in the Bible, Psalm chapter 51, where it's David's prayer for restoration. And he's confessing and he's agreeing with God and he's asking God to cleanse him and make him clean. And it comes to a place in Psalm 51 where he asks God, he says, God, create a clean heart for me. We've got to believe it. We've got to believe it for us. We've got to ask God, do it for me, God. Create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. And then he says this, Restore the joy of your salvation, meaning his salvation, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. You know, that's what God wants his children to have. God wants his children to live in and enjoy that joy of salvation. To live that way. Live like you've been set free. He wants his children not to walk around and live with a cloud of guilt and condemnation that's weighing you down because we can't jump in and serve him with confidence. When have you ever, when have you ever witnessed to anybody boldly while you were feeling all condemned? It'll hold us back. It'll stop us from serving him. We need to live in the joy of salvation. I believe that that's possible today. We look at those four steps. How can I do that? Identify the origin of that guilt, of that false guilt. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, your first step is to come to know Him, to put your trust, place your trust in Him. Identify the origin of the false gift and understand the damaging effects that it can have in my life, in your life as a Christian. Then realize the truth. Realize the truth of spiritual freedom in Christ, but then so, so important, that fourth step, believe that that truth over feelings that it works and is intended for you. And for me, and we believe that the difference that it makes in our lives is astounding when we live as free children of God as we're intended to be. Now, you may be here today and, and you've never trusted Him as your Savior. You've never experienced that, that truth of, I'm forgiven. There's nothing. Jesus has erased it all. For you this morning, you just feel like it's all still written up there and you're just guilty of all of it. I'm telling you, at the moment that you place your faith in the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He did die on the cross, and when He died on the cross, that at that time and place, He paid for everything that's written on that board in your mind. He paid for all of it. That He was resurrected from the tomb. You realize how important it is that we believe in the resurrected body of Jesus Christ to being saved. And we place our faith in Him and we just give all of that to Him. He takes it, not just what's in your past and what's going on. He takes all of what you haven't even done yet. Doesn't give us a license to sin, but He takes it all away, wipes it all away. He is the only bridge that gets you from that side of the canyon of condemnation Cross that great chasm to where God is. God sent him to be that bridge. Oh, there are many people try all kinds of bridges, build their own, try to build their own bridges across that gap between us and God to try to get to God. There's 
morality. I'll, I'll be good. I'm going to live a good, clean life. That bridge does not make it. Sometimes folks think, well, I'm going to have a good philosophy. What I think about and believe, I, I'm going to, and it's going to turn out good in the end. That bridge does not make it. Of all the different problems and challenges we have in life, sometimes some counseling and therapy and group therapy and things like that are necessary, even for believers. But counseling and group therapy will not get us over our sin problem to God. No bridge except Jesus Christ alone bridges that gap. What we want you to do this morning, if, if that's you, is to know that this congregation of people will celebrate that decision with you like no other. 